Welcome to the Motivation Movement. This eight-part series will take place over the next four weeks and is designed to bring you high-level conversations about what it actually looks like to embody advanced energetics in your life and business. Join me as I explore the concept of motivation, alignment, and momentum with my team and a panel of incredibly embodied individuals who are living what they teach. These conversations are the definition of noteworthy, so please grab a pen, grab a notebook, make yourself comfortable, and let's get lost in this conversation together. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Energetics of Everything. I am so excited to be here today with Alex Cantone, a fellow 6-2 profile, which is just such a fun experience to be surrounded by other six twos and be able to witness them in their process. Alex is somebody that I have watched for a while. I think there's been a couple of years now where I find myself checking in on her. Even after I unfollowed everyone, there's a couple of six twos that I still just go check in on them and see what they're doing. Alex is a self-projected projector who is absolutely incredible at what she does. She's really focused on human design and parenting and childhood development education, and she does absolutely incredible work. And today we are going to be primarily discussing motivation. She has a hope motivation. And so we're going to explore how that looks for her and we'll just go from there. So Alex, thank you so much for being here and accepting this invitation. Thanks for having me. I loved receiving it. (laughs) (laughs) Just before you were mentioning that your hope motivation is something that you've hinted at in several different places, but you've never really had the opportunity to really dive into it and explore it. So that's what we're doing here today. But as you've hinted at it, where have you hinted at it in the past? What's coming to mind of where it's shown up for you recently? Yeah, I think for me, I have found myself bringing it up in different events I've done in sessions with people. It's like, I always find myself making a little joke of it or plugging it and being like, yeah, well, I'm hope motivation. So, you know, I just kind of like trust fall and it's like, whatever happens happens. And I really do have that sort of, uh, approach to a lot of things and also find myself very often having to remind myself to move out of the gripping and the control and the guilt and the transference of that experience. And I think what we were saying before we started recording is it is very much this spectrum that wavers that requires you to move along depending on where you're oriented in the world. But I notice a lot of really interesting things that I want to share, but I actually have a question for you before I share is, yeah, I would love for you to actually, because I'm so obsessed with the way that you explain human design. So I kind of want to hear from you, like what your perception understanding is of hope, motivation, guilt, transference, if you want to share. Absolutely. I'll share. And then of course I have the exact same question for you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) right after this. I see hope motivation. It's on the spectrum of hope versus guilt. For me, when I think of that, hope is really focusing in on the possibility of like something could happen. And it's focusing on no matter what happens, whatever the odds are, 
I'm holding on to that one thread. When you are trying to find your motivation with that hope motivation, you're going to feel kind of overwhelmed with guilt. You're going to feel overwhelmed with your non-self themes are going to be showing up. And essentially you're asking the question, is this something I should be pursuing or is it time to kind of step back and not actively be pursuing whatever the thing is that you're being motivated to go after? So with hope motivation, it's pretty much you're going to find that energy and you're going to find that connection and pull and that motivation when you are blocking out all of that guilt, you're blocking out all of the negative things and you're saying, okay, even though I know there's a one in 10 chance that this could happen, or even though I have no idea if this is actually going to work out or this could be really bad. Even though all of these things, you have to hold on to that golden thread. You have to find it first of all, but as soon as you can focus in on it and hold on to that, if you're holding on to that golden thread, regardless of whatever is going on around outside of you, you're going to be pulled to take the aligned actions and you're wanting to show up a little bit stronger. That's your motivation. That's where you're going to be able to move from feeling unmotivated or atrophy, almost that apathy of I'm not really feeling it, not really wanting to take action. That motivation is really where you're going to switch into. Yeah, I'm going to pursue this, even though I have no idea if it's actually going to work out or not. That's my description of hope motivation. (laughs) I'd say that's pretty spot on. I think a lot of times we hear that phrase, a glimmer of hope. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is how I navigate through life. Even if things are not going well, I don't know. I think I always find myself looking at the bright side or maybe not just the bright side, but the hopeful side. And I find it coming out in the littlest scenarios where if someone is being particularly negative or hard on themselves or doubtful about something, I'm like, yeah, but this thing, and I can pull the string of this tiny little moment that has happened that can offer sort of like a line of less resistance to what actually is possible to Mm -hmm. achieve and for something to occur. I find myself being the person oftentimes who other people go to or lean on if I'm involved in a project or collaboration or something, and there's suddenly all of this doubt or fear or worry of like, is it going to work out? And what if it doesn't hit and this and that I find myself always having this unshakable trust, unshakable without a doubt, knowing that, yeah, it might not turn out the way that we want it to, but that's not what it's about. It's not about the action fulfilling or the result fulfilling the expectations. It's about going through the experience and landing on the other side and being like, Hey, we got here and it probably doesn't look like we expected it to look, but look what it brought us. So I'm always finding the silver lining in things. I'm always finding the glimmer of hope in experiences and scenarios. And I find myself always pointing out the possibility and potential of this is why we should keep going. This is why we should keep trying almost like I can see other people getting like crumbling and feeling really doubtful around me. And I'm just like, yeah, but look at the like shiny little thing on that tree over there. And it's like pointing out the tiniest little moment that can encourage both myself and those around me to just keep trucking along because there's always hope. 
Like it's always going to work out. And people say things like trust the process. There's so many cliches that I feel like are so from hope motivation of like, trust the process or taking a trust fall or glimmer of hope. Or when people say everything happens for a reason, I'm like, that's so hope motivation to me Mm -hmm. because it's that release of, yeah, I'm just here for the ride and I'm just holding on to hope. It's not like I look at every single thing and go, oh yeah, I could see the potential. I could see the potential in anything, but it doesn't mean I'm going to invest my energy in everything. But the things that I invest my energy in, even if I'm not being served with analytics and projections for markers of success, that doesn't really matter to me. I'm like, if I feel it, I believe in it and I'll hold on to hope for all of us. Sometimes that's gotten me in some positions where I'm holding on so tightly that it's not actually hope anymore. It's I'm controlling, I'm wanting to control. So I find that when I'm wanting to control a lot and wanting to control an outcome, wanting to fulfill an expectation, that's when I tend to not be in hope because hope is kind of like hope for the best release it and just let it go. It doesn't mean you're not actively going after anything. You're just not actively going after fulfilling the expectation of something. Yeah. So when I'm trying to manipulate the outcome, that's when I know I'm not in my hope motivation. That's beautiful. I am such an emotional and sensational person that I'm curious, what does hope feel like? Does it show up in a specific area of your body or a specific sensation? Yeah. What does that feel like? Yeah, for sure. The second you said that I was like, oh, I know exactly the feeling. It's this really sparkly feeling in my heart, almost in my G center. And I wonder how connected that is likely to my authority as a self-projected projector, as a self-projector, I'm always thinking about myself as I'm on this trajectory. I'm on this lane. I'm like following this path. I'm headed in this direction. And it's the direction that is not necessarily going anywhere outside of myself. It's like the path that's connecting me back to the integrated parts of what's within. I feel most in my authority when I'm feeling hopeful, when I'm feeling like it's all going to work out. And I just believe in this. And I just trust this. It's like that sparkly feeling of lightness. You know, when you can feel a weight on your chest and you feel like your whole entire body is contracting, Mm -hmm. it's like the opposite of that. It's expansion. It's lightness. It's that wonder for what is happening out in the world and the excitement for what could be without thinking about what might be. So I guess feelings matched with, yeah, like words of just encouragement. Mm -hmm. And just knowing, like an inner knowing. Knowing. I have a lovely mental projector assistant who is constantly reflecting things back to me. And she, I'm going to, plug in my own little recognition that I get from her all the time, but she's like the way that you just trust, like you always have this unshakable knowing that it's going to work out and it always does. And she's like, I have watched you hold on to hope in the final hour of like, I have no idea where this money is coming from, where these clients are coming from, what's happening here, how this is going to be received. And you can lock in 
up until the last minute. And she's like, I have seen you grow over time in the last two years that she's been working with me of that trust muscle getting stronger of like, sometimes it's like you're down to the wire and you're just like, all right, now we got to push. But I think it's over time with strengthening that. And it is like a muscle. It's like expanding your capacity to hold yourself in hope in whatever your motivation is. And the more I expand my capacity to hold remaining in hope, Mm -hmm. the easier things become when you are at that like final hour and you really don't know what's going to happen. And that's the moment where you want to crack. And when you don't, you feel that expansiveness again, because you get that proof. As -hmm. long as you remain in that space, it's all going to work out. What that's just making me think of is there's a lot of manifestation coaches or mindset coaches, money coaches who talk about just like holding on to that faith until the last minute and believing that it's going to happen no matter what. I'm wondering, cause that's never been a strategy that's worked for me. If I just completely let go and say, okay, whatever happens, happens, no big deal, but I'm a fear motivation person. So that makes mm-hmm. more sense. <laughs> But never once has it worked for me where I'm focusing on, I should be able to make this happen. If I just hold on to faith, if I just hold on to, I know it can still happen. I know it's going to happen. That's never really worked for me. And so I'm curious if that started with a hope motivation individual, but also I'm wondering what the other motivation types, what their experience is with trying to we have a launch date and it's the card is closing holding on to a goal or a vision up until that last moment. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I wonder what Esther Hicks motivation is because now I'm thinking about the law of attraction and the way that she translated that through Mm -hmm. Abraham. And I'm like, Hmm, what's that about then? I would say that something that could be a misconception here is that hope is never not paired with action. I've tried to sit on the couch and visualize the thing happening and repeat it a million times and throw the crystal under my pillow and do the rituals and be like, I just trust it's going to happen. And nothing happens because I'm not sitting there with myself and getting clear and taking the action in an aligned way. So I think sometimes where I get caught up with manifestation is I thought that manifestation was wish for it and then believe that you can have it and then it will just happen. But I missed the action step in there. So I was like, why am I not manifesting? And then I realized that it's like, visualize it, whatever the steps might be. I guess for me, it's hear myself say something. And then sometimes it just immediately happens. But if there's resistance, then it's hear myself say something. Okay, this is big. Let me visualize what that might look like in my life. Let me continue to visualize. Now let me visualize while receiving the aligned action steps. Taking action doesn't mean I'm not in my motivation. It means I'm just not coupling it with, and this needs to be the result. So even for me, like holding on to a certain goal, a number goal or a client goal or a sign up goal or something that's always been really challenging for me. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that has anything to do with the way that I'm designed to operate. I get psyched out over if I don't meet that thing, then what's going to happen. And then I'm going to yeah. be super disappointed. So how do you feel about that? 
Ooh, I have lots of feelings. <laughs> I have lots of feelings about manifestation in general. I had to look it up and Amanda Francis oh, yeah. also has hope motivation. And so she's who I was envisioning saying, you just have to hold that faith until the last mm. moment. But she also talked so much about how inspired action is such a huge mm-hmm, part mm-hmm. of manifestation. I came into human design from studying law of attraction, studying manifestation, studying psychology, quantum physics, all of the nerdy, you can create your own reality stuff. <laughs> that was my yeah. gateway to human design. And so when I was first working with human design, I was looking at it through this lens of how does this fit into a manifestation process? Of course, with 3420 being my conscious son and earth, that also just makes a lot of sense that everything that's filtered through me is going to be looking at getting things in the present moment, that 3420. So I see manifestation as kind of a combination of the variables and the body graph. I really see it as the variables, especially the dependent variables that's where the conscious and the unconscious mind blend together and connect. That's one of the reasons why I like to focus on those when helping people learn how to manifest. And when I think manifest, my definition is you have some sort of vision, you have some sort of desire, you decide to become the version of you who is connected to that vision. You have to do some things around changing your story and you have to see yourself as confident and capable enough to take the actions necessary to get there. If I say I want to build a million dollar company or whatever, I also have to see myself as, can I be that person? Can I align with my design? What of my non-self themes is possibly motivating this? Where is this motivation coming from is a first question I ask, but then it's about essentially bringing the energy through your body graph. For me, if I am looking out, I'm going to go from where I am to where I want to go my action step is in my definition. My action is being myself in the present moment and trusting that my design is going to lead me to where I want to go. And along the way, I'm going to come up against lessons. I'm going to come up against my non-self themes. I'm going to come up against the standards that I have set or the boundaries that need to be reinforced or the beliefs and the stories that don't line up with the thing that I am trying to manifest. I see that we receive in our undefined energy for you with your undefined sacral, your undefined root, undefined ego, all of this undefined energy, that's where you're going to receive it. Those are the action steps that you don't have to do anything for. For you with manifesting, it's getting clear on, you can get clear on some of the vision things that you want, connecting with that line of hope as your motivation, using your inner vision cognition. If you wanted to be kind of visualizing it and seeing it in your head beforehand, And then your biggest responsibility is to let go in your undefined energy and hold on and operate in alignment with your definition. For you, that is leading by example with that 731 channel and then sharing those insights simply with that 3423, 34, 43, 43, 23. Yeah. I just flip the numbers. Flip some numbers around. Yeah. Yeah. Just slightly dyslexic. Then in your undefined energy, what you're going to experience is you're going to experience the timing that's aligned for you. That's not something you have to control, but that's something that is just the experience and the lessons that you're going to learn along the way. So going from here to where you want to go, you're going to learn some lessons about timing, learn lessons around the universe is going to be pushing you to get there at the right time. 
You don't have to worry about doing the action, building and creating it. It's going to build and be created by the world around you. That's something that you get to just receive. You don't have to worry about creating the emotional experience. You get to just receive the emotional experience that happens as you go from where you are to where you want to go. For me with my undefined G center, that and my head center, my only undefined centers, but that G center, I don't do well. If I say who is the version of me who has this? I'm not going to figure that out. I'm not going to know that until I experience it. That's where I manifest being different people. I manifest different roles, different identities. And so that's really where I receive that manifestation. Maybe having a six-figure month or something like that, that may be the goal. The goal isn't the money. For me, what I'm receiving is I am the person who had a six-figure month. I am the business owner. I am the leader. It's that identity where I receive Mm -hmm. the... Mm -hmm thing for you, you get to receive that desire. You get to receive that emotional experience. So it's almost like the definition is the action steps that you take. And then in your undefined energy, that's where you're actually going to receive the experience of the desire that you're manifesting. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Because I've always just found it really challenging to attach myself to numbers and outcomes. Cause I'm like, Okay. I want money obviously, but why do I want money? When I shifted from, Oh, I just want to make $30,000 a month to what would I do with $30,000 a month? Where would I invest? What would I save? How would I actually plan? Who would that person be? It's always me, but it's like, how would I, what's the word? It's almost like amplify that amplification of my own identity. My goal for me is always like, how would this support me in being more aligned to me, being more integrated in me? Once I'm there, then I'm so much more motivated because I'm like, this isn't about the money. This isn't about the clients. It's actually kind of about me. It's about who I get to be. Sometimes I feel incredibly selfish, but then I look at my design and I'm like, yeah, but you're not here to be an example of anything else but yourself. Exactly. You're literally just here to lead by example of yourself. You're six, two self-projected projector with the 731 and the 4323. You can't be relatable to anyone. Mm -hmm. People can see themselves in me and be inspired by that, but I'm not here to be relatable. Yeah. And that's a really strange thing as well. And that's kind of veering off track a little bit, but it feels like the direction that I'm trying to go in. I've always been really interested in watching how other people manifest. Mm -hmm. And I've seen really big names in the wellness, spiritual wellness industry of you hold this vision and this is the goal and this is the number and this is the thing. And then you do this and do that. I'm like, hmm. Maybe it's just in their integrity, but it's not in mine to do things in that way. Mm -hmm. And it can be a little bit challenging because then I'm at the place right now where I'm deconditioning from those things that I took on as I was learning about human design. And now that I feel more integrated in my design, I'm witnessing myself through the lived process, what you're talking about learning about timing and learning about the emotional process and learning about the creative action that takes place around me when I'm just being the example in myself. All of these things have happened now where people are just supporting me and stepping into the role that I was designed to step into. And it has nothing to do with 
me creating some big platform. Mm -hmm. And that was always something that I held myself to this expectation of you have to be the sole owner and the sole creator and the one true person who does this thing. And it's like, no, you just have to be the example of it and say some weird out there shit about it that no one else is saying. And then other people are going to invite you to be a part of their experiences and they're going to want to build for you. It's going to naturally build what you are creating. Mm -hmm. I'm not like surrendering to everyone else around me and going, well, Eden, just take care of me or like so-and-so just take care of me. But there is this sense of, I think with my definition and lack thereof, a need for me to surrender and allow myself to be taken care of and allow other people to really build the webs around me mm-hmm. for me to just kind of land on and like yeah. trust the process and hope that they work. Cause I'm so not a builder. I could be a strategizer and I can be a conceptualizer, but beyond the vision, there's not much doing involved unless it's just creative art for myself yeah. or for Instagram or whatever I'm creating. Yeah. That's so fascinating because I feel like my process is almost the exact opposite where I don't get the big vision, get glimpses of it. And then I get very clear things to respond to. Like you have to work on this. You have to build this. You have to go through this structure. You have to create Mm -hmm. this. For me, it's so much more about letting go of the big vision and saying, I have no idea how all of these little pieces are going to fit together. I have no idea what the strategy is, what the vision is, or who I need to be in this process. It's very much not about me. I have to let go of that. Then I focus on, okay, today, what's the task in front of me that I am responding to? What do I want to build today? What do I want to create today? And through that detailed brick by brick, build this little thing, build this little thing. Eventually I'm able to step back and see how everything fit together and how much more incredible the vision is than just what I was actually seeing. It's so fascinating that you just hold that vision and when you can see it and when you can really know this is an expression of myself, this is me being a leader, this is me holding on to this desire that I have in this direction that I need to go in, not just for yourself, but to be that example for other people. And then things just become built around you. That's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder how it will change for you as you transition into your second life phase as a six, two also, because what you're describing with the feeling like it was a very much day by day process to me feels like the building of the third line in a way. I think it's also flavored of course, with you being a sacral being and having the definition that you have, but it's like, how much of that can we also credit to the third line for being this, like every day I'm here and I'm building something and I'm excited about it. I felt like that for the first life phase. And especially in my twenties, when I was figuring out what I wanted to do. And then it was almost like all of a sudden I couldn't see like that anymore. I couldn't wake up and be like, it's time to do for the sake of doing, create for the sake of creating without the big vision, without the big picture, without being able to hold the potential and be what's beyond what I'm doing right here. I can't even muster up the energy to do anything on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. And that's where I've really actually been struggling lately is adjusting to this transition of going from the third to the sixth line is, wow, this is really, really different here 
it requires me to be even more in my home motivation Mm -hmm. because I'm not so motivated anymore to just do things for the sake of having fun. If it's not worth my energetic output, I can't see it as an investment for myself because I have a finite amount to channel towards something. Not to say that that's because I'm lacking anything. It's just my energy is different. I'm just designed differently. I don't have any motor centers. So I'm much more aware of where I'm focusing and where I'm channeling and what I'm looking at because I know that it takes a certain amount out of me and I can't risk that. Yeah. Mm. I'm very curious to see how the transition is going to go for me. Yeah. Yeah. Because you've built so much in your first life phase and you're continuing to build and you've been incredibly successful and you've been such an amazing example of someone who can be incredibly successful in that first Mm -hmm. life phase, which completely debunks some of the things that we've heard in the human design field. It'll just be really interesting to see what you refine because inevitably you will refine so much of what you're creating and developing, but having already built something so massive, it's like, how's this going to change? It's in an exciting way because you're really building the foundations right now. And I would say one of my biggest lessons looking back in creating something massively successful and then burning it all down was I just never thought about the foundations. That might be because my hope motivation, your fear motivation. So that's one line energy. You're like, we got to build, we got to make sure we have all our ducks in a row. And I'm just like, whatever, I'll just transition. I'll burn this thing down and everything will go fine. And it's like, whatever. Sometimes I feel like that can come with this sense of lacking responsibility for myself and what I'm creating. And I can get really down about that and have a lot of things around what that means to feel like I'm reverting back and not as successful as I maybe was before and rebuilding and all this stuff. There's so many incredible lessons weaved within the experience of burning something down without having a foundation to lean back on. Then I also wonder through this conversation, I'm like, huh, well, maybe that's the lesson of hope motivation and why you lean on other people to support you with those structures that may not come as natural for you to build. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then also really with that hope motivation, giving yourself permission to move away from that guilt, because that's what's showing up. If you're like, oh no, I don't have the foundation or I should have maybe done this differently. That's your guilt motivation, right? If you're only going to be building a foundation because you feel guilty for not building it, then it's not necessary holding on to that hope motivation. One of the benefits of that is that you get to trust and you have to trust that the necessary steps are going to be taken. That hope motivation, Mm -hmm. the foundation that's necessary to be built is going to be built even when you're just following that hope motivation. Wow. Yeah. I really needed that reframe because I'm like, oh, wow. I didn't even notice that was there. And you totally just called me out in there in the best way. It was like, oh, right. I'm right there in guilt when I'm talking about that. Cause I definitely do have those thoughts and feelings. Cause it's like, what was I thinking? How was I not seeing this? But it was because I was just so anchored in hope at the time. I look at how much success has been created for me over the last few years of being in this online space. And I'm so grateful for the ups and downs. And when I say ups and downs, I just mean like 
on paper success, feeling that there was this time when it felt like there were so many people looking at me and I was getting so much attention and all of this stuff. And then I really needed to pull myself back because it was like so much. Yeah. And to think I wasn't ever thinking, excuse me, <coughs> something in my throat. Releasing all sorts of things. Oh my God. Really? Rarely does that happen. You can hear it. I'm like losing it. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm like realizing something so big. <clears throat> Maybe it's your signal to say something. Cause I'm like <clears throat> choking through something right now. Okay. So something that I'm noticing in just the contemplation that I've had around motivation is this theme of irresponsibility in connection to the transferred motivation. Whenever I am experiencing the transference of need, it's this energy of, I should have done that. This is necessary. This needed to happen. I missed a necessary step. And that's irresponsible of me to be making these moves and calling myself a leader if I'm missing these necessary steps. So there's this theme of, I feel irresponsible for not doing the things that were necessary. And so it's really interesting that you also just brought up and mentioned when you were talking about how guilt has shown up for you, that you feel irresponsible for just following that hope blindly and feeling that guilt for the things that you should have done. That's just always such an interesting theme for me when we blame ourselves so much for doing something wrong, or I should have been able to prevent this. And essentially it's this energy of, I should have known everything, which is impossible to actually do. There's no way you can plan for everything. If you're designed to be motivated by hope, then it means that the lessons that you learn along the way were lessons that you were designed to learn. And that was the perfect timing for them to come up. You never know what you don't know until you realize that you don't know it. There's nothing wrong in the past. You did not mess up or was not being irresponsible. You made the best decision that you could with the information that was available to you. And if you were in integrity with your motivation, with your design, with your authority, your decision-making process, your values, all of the things, then you did not mess up. You did not mess up. And you're not an irresponsible person, but that story of I am irresponsible can very easily become an identity. And that identity can prevent you from taking aligned action in the future, even quickly. So if you have this hope in the future, that voice in the back of your head is going to say, oh, well, last time I followed that motivation, I was being irresponsible. So what do I have to do before I can follow that motivation? That's a huge trap of the non-self. What do I have to do before I can just follow this. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you get so caught up in looking at the lessons learned as I should have, could have, would have, should have known better, should have done it this way, could have looked at it that way, then you're not actually getting the lesson. You're just stuck in that trap of guilt. You're stuck in that trap of feeling irresponsible and you're not taking a positive experience from that talking this out is helping me so much because I'm like, yeah, I've never had the opportunity to actually sit here and talk through how does this show up in a way that maybe I'm not seeing for myself mm -hmm. because I'm so in the process of it that well, there's no one reflecting it back to me because I'm not talking about it. And when I'm not talking about it, energy's not moving. Whatever was just coming out of my throat was like, oh, this, this release that I needed to give myself permission to say, 
yeah, I know better now. And I get to take those lessons with me and carry them through from this place of now I'm empowered Mm -hmm. in being able to lead by example through the insights that I've gained through this practical experience, as opposed to, well, I better not mess up like I did last time. And then I'm just going to go through that same exact cycle Mm -hmm. and repeat the pattern until I actually give myself space to learn and exit that lesson with grace and move forward. Mm -hmm. I think that is a conditioned behavior pattern that a lot of us learn from school, from the school system is there's a right or wrong answer. And if you mess up, like, I just think about going through exams and seeing questions and thinking I should have studied more. I was not prepared Mm. for this. That is something that we all experience through the school system is there is a right answer. And when it comes down to taking an exam, you have to know the right answer. There's this feeling of, if I did not prepare for this, if I didn't study, then I'm not going to do well. There's an instantly, it's my fault for not getting the correct answer on the exam or not getting it correct. And so next time I have to do more next time I have to prep more in order to do well. You also saw this as a teacher. You probably also see those students who, instead of going into a reactive shadow where they will, I have to do more. I have to do more. will go into a repressive shadow of there's no point. It's too hard. It's too hard to study. They want me to know too much. I'm never going to know everything anyways, so I may as well just wing it. Neither of those are learning the lesson. And really, if you're looking at an exam, I always loved going back through any exam because you see what you missed and that's something to respond to and something to learn more next time. That's literally all I did when I was studying for the NCLEX is I would take an exam. I would go through all of the questions that I missed and I'd be like, cool, I get to study this now. I get to read about this a little bit more. It wasn't, I should have done this previously. It was using your experience to get you very valid and very objective evidence of where you currently are so that you can respond to it or you can see that as an invitation and then you can make the improvements for next time. It gets to be linear. It doesn't have to be this guilt for past things and holding on to, because that just creates attachments in your energy. And then it's really difficult to move forward with simplicity and confidence and just that, yeah, I trust myself. I feel hopeful. I'm just going to go for it. Yeah. So interesting. I was talking with a friend the other day about the spectrum of responsibility and how there's this spectrum in my mind, the way that my brain works is very interesting and odd. In your vision, I love it. Yeah, everything's kind of on this spectrum. And I think you kind of look at things the same way as a fellow inner vision-er. It was like, in my brain, I had been conditioned to see this spectrum of responsibility, but it was very black and white. Mm-hmm. So there is, you are responsible or you are irresponsible. And you fall in one of the categories. It's sort of like what you're talking about with being a student is you can engage in the spectrum of responsibility and take responsibility for the things that you need to know in order to achieve the standards and the expectations that are set for you. And that's a setup. It's almost impossible to, unless you are natural at retaining information and auditorily attuned to your environment in a specific way, it is very challenging to be in the 99th percentile of that, what I deem as ultimate responsibility, which Mm -hmm. is you never miss an answer. Perfection, right? You never miss an answer. You're always right on point with everything. The unrealistic expectation of I'm always going to get it right the first time because I just know. 
it's like consciously, I almost look at it through that line of the six of I'm holding this you're responsible or you're irresponsible. You're perfect or you're imperfect. No gray area. That's it. Then there's what you were talking about, which is the, I'm not even going to go there. So therefore I'm not even going to step on the spectrum of responsibility because if I don't even step on it and I avoid it altogether, then I can't be responsible, but I also can't be irresponsible. Yeah. It was this whole mind blowing thing because I was looking at a certain area of my life that I wasn't taking responsibility for. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why am I not taking responsibility for that? I'm so irresponsible. It's like, well, no, I'm not even letting myself be irresponsible because I'm not stepping onto the spectrum of responsibility in a way that's like, I'm not even stepping into the possibility of living into my hope potential. If I'm so focused on not falling into guilt. Exactly. And that's where that transference will get you. Right. So if you're (laughs) so focused on, I don't want to be imperfect, so I'm not even going to risk it. Then Mm -hmm. you don't even risk the possibility of stepping into what you are really designed for. That's the missing piece of living into our designs. We can learn about the designs. We can take in the information. We can accumulate all of the knowledge we want, but until you step onto the spectrum of possibility and the potentials for how you're designed to operate, if you're going in with the expectation of, I'm either going to not do this at all because I'm scared to possibly risk it, or I better be perfect when I do this, you're just setting yourself up for failure ultimately. Yeah. And you're going to cycle through that same loop. Oh yeah. The fear of failure is the greatest Mm -hmm. cause of failure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. That just clicked because I've been thinking so much about that responsibility piece and hearing myself say that a lot and kind of wondering design wise where that comes from. And I'm like, oh, that is so me afraid to not step into the hope motivation that I've been Mm -hmm. in so deeply because when I'm in there, I really, truly do get lost in the process. Yeah. When I don't have control, that can be really scary for me. I've seen what happens when I don't have control. So if I have the proof then I shouldn't even do that again, it's like, yeah, but nothing's happening because you're standing on the outskirts of your life or you're hovering above your life, mm-hmm. coming up with possibilities and potentials, but not actually letting yourself lean into the experience of having them. Yeah. And that's going to get me nowhere. Mm-hmm. really fast. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if your spectrum of responsibility is coming from your power view because mm. I have very similar thing. And I just remember talking this through with clients over and over and over my wanting view. I've always seen it as the spectrum. It's very similar. So it's really interesting. But I remember having a conversation with one of my clients where she was afraid to pretty much even admit to herself that she wanted something. And so she was almost more comfortable, not even going after it, not even essentially taking responsibility, but she was afraid of wanting it because she was so afraid of wanting it and it not happening. I see a lot of people who secretly really want something, but are afraid to give it their all because they're afraid of what if I am not enough and I give it everything I absolutely have. And that's still not enough to even accomplish the thing that I want. There's that fear of if I want it really bad and give everything and still don't get it, it's not worth the risk of potentially putting in all of that effort and not receiving it. 
you were talking about that spectrum with responsibility and that to me is power you're seeing you're either going to take control and you're going to be in power and you are in power of everything in your life or you are out of control with your power or you're not even trying to leverage it at all I see it with desire and with wanting so very interesting yeah I I 100% experience that it's like I know deep down what I want, but I'm afraid to admit it out loud sometimes because running the risk of not getting what I want in the face of admitting it is embarrassing or just the shame in learning that I can't have what I want because I'm not good enough for it or because I'm not equipped to be able to have that thing. To say it out loud sounds so silly because in my heart of hearts, I'm like, yeah, but you can have anything you want. Mm -hmm. You truly can. You've seen it happen. You've created so much for yourself. Yeah. Sometimes we do find ourselves in these ruts where it's like the wanting becomes so big or Mm -hmm. you get to the thing that you've been wanting. You're here and you're like, cool. Now I want more, which is such a natural process and so necessary for manifestation as well. And then the thing that you want is always going to be bigger because your capacity for what you can hold has expanded. I find that that is a big thing that happens to me right before I admit that I want something bigger than I've ever wanted before. Yeah. You kind of have to go through that process of recognizing I'm at that place again, where I'm not letting myself say what I want because I think it's too big Mm because I think it's too much because I think that would take up too much space. And it's like, yeah, but anchor back into you, who you are and to look at my design, but really Mm -hmm. to look at anyone and be like any amount of space that you take up in showing people what you're able to create and achieve is going to create that much room for someone who's inspired by you to step into the potential of what they can have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when I anchor into this will allow me to essentially show others what's possible for themselves. That motivates me so much. Yeah. Yeah. That's that hope because it's also, I think that especially with your self-projected energy, being able to see yourself as a beacon of hope for other people is pulling you out of individual expression and into really collective expression, which is that 731. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) That's when I feel it like my ultimate. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's coming up for me is longing in this energy of wanting more and always wanting more is divinely feminine. It's very much a feminine energy. And if you think about just women in general, relationships usually only happen when the woman wants it. When she is ready to accept that invitation, when she is ready to receive someone supporting her in her life or that divine masculine partner or any partner in whatever gender, she has to open up and say, I want more. I'm ready to receive more. If you think about building a family that starts with a feminine desire of, I think I am ready for more. Traditionally, it's almost always the woman who says, I am ready for children versus the man who's like, okay, cool, whatever you want. It's this energy of, I want more and then I get it. And then I want more and then I get it is divinely feminine. That's actually you being in your receptive energy. It's you saying, okay, cool. I am ready to receive more. I'm ready to be in my feminine energy. I'm ready to be a woman. 
is like asking for more and receiving it. I remember reading somewhere about the highest expression of both the masculine and the feminine is actually the opposite. So the most feminine thing is to be so in your feminine to know that you can also set boundaries. The most masculine thing is to know that you are so strong that you do not have to enforce your strength. And you trust that your strength and your protection is understood and received without you needing to push even further. It's almost like you are allowing for that reception with the feminine, with this kind of claiming desire, you finding alignment with and really accepting the fact that you want more is the first step to manifesting it and is the first step to actually allowing it to happen in your energy as you first have to receive and accept that you have the desire. Wanting is step one. I think that there's a lot of guilt and shame around having desires and not being perfectly fully satisfied with everything that you have in your life. But the duality of being a woman is being satisfied with what you have and being able to show that gratitude and also holding that space for more and honoring the fact that you can fully appreciate and love unconditionally everything that you have while simultaneously holding that desire for more. Wow. Um, like mic drop. <laughs> yeah. I just, I was like, okay, cool. I'm back now. <laughs> Rarely am I left speechless, but I'm like, yeah, that is, and that's it. It's the duality that I am just allowing myself to embrace now. It's really something that I've come into recently is how can I hold both? How can I hold gratitude and wanting? How can I hold that feeling of settledness and the desire for something else? I get into this place where I'm like, well, if I settle in or if I fall too far on the spectrum of gratitude and acceptance and settling for what is, then it's never going to leave room for what can be. It's something that I've been trying to articulate over time and really process over time. And it's like, you do not have to choose one space to be in. And it's so necessary to be in both of those spaces at the same time and to hold both of those things at the same time. So that's been a big one for me. Yeah. You also don't have to hold everything at the same time because you don't have to be everything simultaneously. We only have the present moment. Right. So in this present moment, you can be very attached to one thing. You can be focused on one thing. And it doesn't mean that you're not prioritizing or you don't care about other things. For me, finding balance has been not necessarily that perfect consistency of Mm. I spend an hour every single day on absolutely everything, (laughs) but it's over the course of a couple of months, I get really deep and really obsessed with and really focused on certain things, but I bounce around between those things. I think that's another layer of that perfectionism of what does it look like to be Mm -hmm. holding all of these things? Mm -hmm. We get this idea of, I have to be holding everything all of the time. And immediately with your open emotional center, that's going to feel big, right? I can't hold all of that all of the time. You don't have to hold all of that all the time. You just have to fully be present and accept whatever is showing up for you in this present moment. Just be fully accepting what's right here, right now. You don't have to be here right now. And in the past, in the present, in the future, trying to hold all of those things at once too. You can just be present with exactly what's in front of you. And the way that you hold that and the bigger picture is trust that in every single moment, if you're present with it, you're going to be present with everything at the right time. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I'm getting so much from this. (laughs) 
sometimes it's so important as projectors to be in conversation like this. I mean, for everyone, but I find especially projectors to be in conversation like this. So much is reflected back to me. And especially from someone like you who understands me, sees me, knows me is looking at my chart at the same time. It's like to have that opportunity to have your essence reflected back to you and to have those things like gently nurtured. You have this really gentle way of being like, yes. And if you looked at it this way and I'm like, oh, you're not telling me not to do anything. You're just showing me that maybe the way that I was looking at something was being in that space that really isn't isn't possible. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? It's so interesting is in my mind, I think that I need to do all those things. But in reality, what I actually witness myself doing is going over a span of like days or weeks where I'm obsessing over something or I get like a hit of I'm wanting, I'm wanting, I'm wanting. And I put all of this energy into wanting something and then I release it. And suddenly that's not even happening anymore. I'm like, where did that go? Am I supposed to tend to that? Because if I don't tend to it, is it going to get away from me? And then all of a sudden it will just present itself. And all of that work and wanting and visualizing that I did in that one little chunk of time has revealed itself in this experience because I can't create the timing. Yeah. I don't set the timing of things. I'm not a manifester. I'm not doing those things. So yeah, sometimes I'm like, okay, well, I have to wake up and put my attention towards that vision and put my attention towards this thing. And it's like, no, you actually already did exactly what you needed to do and what you were feeling drawn to do at that moment. And now you just go in and focus on being alive and live into your aliveness and watch it unfold. It always happens like that. It's like that other cliche thing where it's like, things always come when you release when it's like, shit, they actually really do. It's so frustrating. Yeah, it really is, but it really works. Yeah. Yeah. Like as soon as you let go and I can say story after story, after story of wanting something, being really close, trying to make it happen. And then saying, you know what? I'm accepting what is I'm happy Mm. with what I have right now. And I know that this is going to happen at the right time and it's going to happen eventually. And then like days later or like minutes later, it happened. Literally minutes. I can't force myself though. I can't force myself to get to that moment of release. I have to do sort of all of the pushing and all of the trying and all of the stuff. And I did that in relationships for so long where I was like, it's coming and it's this and it's that and trying to make it all happen. And then one day I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to go and have a good time yeah. and just stop focusing on it. Yeah. And then literally in the next day I was like, and there it is. Exactly. And it happens so quickly. And it's like, if only you could get yourself to fall into that place of surrender quicker. But then once again, that would be me trying to control the timing of things. And I think the more that you learn and have that proof that, Hey, that thing does happen when you release. Yes. But there's a difference between me personally sitting there and going, okay, I'm setting the intention to release. And then actually being like, I'm tired of -hmm. trying to make this happen. My body is like, yeah, I fully release because I don't even have it in me anymore to control. Mm -hmm. And there's something funny about that part of life that I'm like, oh, and to me, you just can never control it. You can never yeah. plan when it's going to happen. It just happens. Sometimes I feel like I'm like, okay, if I did it and it worked here, can I just translate it to there? No, just keep living. <laughs> Everything's going to work out. Mm-hmm.
I wonder if that's your gate 21 SQ. That one is an interesting one to grapple with. It is. (laughs) Yeah. I remember being in high school and I was really frustrated that I had a best friend who just managed to get a boyfriend of the week. I was always dating, was always attracted to everyone. And I was just the cool best friend. I was like, I've never been on a date. I've never had a boyfriend. I remember trying to orchestrate the experiences and trying to orchestrate, they have practice here and I'm going to be here really trying to make it happen. And then I got so frustrated one day and I vividly remember this conversation. I was like, you know what? I'm a catch and I deserve a real relationship and someone who is actively going to be interested in me and something where I don't have to do everything. I do not want to orchestrate all of this. I deserve a love story and that's going to happen. It's going to happen. I don't care when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. You cannot make this up. A week later, I was on my first date with my now husband. We have been together for over seven years now. (laughs) It was just the craziest thing. We already knew each other. We were in a class together. As soon as I let go, I was like, I'm done trying to make this work. I'm just going to focus on my classes. Maybe it's going to happen in college or maybe it's going to happen after that, but I'm going to meet somebody someday and they're going to be amazing. It's not going to be some stupid high school boy. (laughs) Right. Days later, he was there and that was the beginning of our relationship. Like you mentioned, it's not about just saying I let go of this. And I think it's because you have to actually experience the shadow in order to cultivate the gift. Mm. You don't become patient by not having to wait for anything. You become patient by experiencing impatience and saying, okay, cool. This is frustrating and this hurts and this is uncomfortable. And I really want this to happen sooner. I'm practicing patience. I'm waiting, even though I'm uncomfortable with control, you actually gain control when you are confident enough to let go of control and say, I know that this is taken care of. I trust that this is under control. Even if it's not under my control, it's under control. Mm-hmm. And that's the surrender. If you're mentioning it has to get bad enough. You have to actually experience the shadow in order to transmute it into the gift. I think that a lot of people, especially in the human design, personal development, we get this conditioning or this belief that we're just going to operate perfectly from our gifts and we're just going to operate perfectly from alignment and we're never going to experience the non-self themes And that's not true because it's the non-self themes that show us our boundaries. It's the non-self themes and those shadows that are literally the opportunity to build the gift. I think physical body lifting weights or something, you're not going to build muscle without working your muscles to fatigue. (laughs) Right, right. Of course, the goal is to be really strong and to be able to lift things easily, but you're not going to be able to lift heavy things easily if you're only lifting things that are easy to lift. Right. Yeah. Just because someone tells you that your body is built really well to perform in competitions doesn't mean that you're going to be a bodybuilder on day yeah. one. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing of as you're learning, we can't have that. I was just talking about this earlier in something I was recording. And especially when it comes to parenting, we can't expect to get it right the first time or really get it right anytime. Really, there's no right. Hate to break it to you, but it's just a little bit more of a roadmap for experience. It's not about you're going to be able to bypass pain mm-hmm. by knowing this stuff. I think that's been a big one for me is coming to terms with life still is going to life on. And I still have to have heartbreak and challenges and 
confusion and doubt and all of these things. It's all just a part of the process. And it doesn't mean I'm doing anything wrong. It just means I'm building muscle or resilience or experience to show me what else is possible. The awareness helps me see the steps that I can remain hopeful in the process. Yeah. That just reminds me that human design is a tool for self-awareness and it's not an instruction manual. It's not a set of rules that you have to follow. It is designed to bring awareness to your patterns, but there is no fixing it. You don't have to fix yourself. You're human. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Oh my gosh. What a great conversation. Yeah. I was just thinking that such a good conversation. Any last things that you want to discuss or say before we wrap up? I just appreciate the depth to which you explore all of these topics and the way that you continuously anchor everything back into, maybe that comes from here. Maybe that comes from there. I have a post-it note of all of these little things that you mentioned that I'm going to go revisit because I haven't been very motivated to look at my own design recently. You saying these things, I have new ways and lenses and approaches to excite myself into exploring these things again. So I'm just grateful to you for exciting me back into exploring myself in a way that I get to look at things through a new lens. Thank you. I feel like my vocation is being called out since 62.3. So it's that application of details Mm -hmm. and information. So thank you for recognizing that. I feel very seen. Of course. course. For me with my undefined G center identity work is just so huge for me. So I love that you took notes because one of my constant affirmations or identities is when I speak, it's noteworthy. I have done so many fun podcast interviews and I've been on a lot of podcasts where people are taking notes or coaching sessions, mastermind calls, even just team meetings. (laughs) And so just seeing another example of you taking notes, that's the biggest sign of recognition for me. That always just makes me feel so satisfied that I was able to inspire you and give you some things to go explore and hopefully you get to see yourself on a deeper level through that exploration. That's always my goal. So yeah, that. thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here and this conversation. This was so good. This set the tone for exactly what I want these conversations to look and feel like. So thank you so much for your time and your presence today. It was absolutely delightful to chat. Thanks so much. I can't wait to listen to the other ones. Yes. They're going to be really fun. I'm very yeah. excited. All right. Anyone who's listening, I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of the Motivation Movement. If you are currently buzzing with inspiration and craving more depth, more support, more examples, and even more conversations similar to this, the Sacred Success Business Academy is the perfect place for you. This is a 12-month high-level embodiment experience designed to help you step into the next era of business as an aligned CEO and leader of your team. There's a certain group of people right now who are being called forward to be leaders in their chosen field, but creating the kind of widespread change that the world currently needs can feel overwhelming if you feel like you're in it alone. If you know that your mission is bigger than you, then it's time to release self-doubt, it's time to break down your walls, and it's time to call in the soulful support that your business is craving. This will allow you to amplify your impact and get this work out into the world where it's designed to be. 
If you're ready to dedicate a full year to creating alignment in your business, I encourage you to check out the Sacred Success Business Academy and then listen to the Aligned Decision-Making Podcast episode to tune into your inner authority and see if this embodiment experience is correct for you. 